got any plans for today? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go to an art exhibition. The Whitworks have been loaned some Hockney prints, exploring gay life as an artist in Los Angeles in the early 60s. Ah, uh -huh. I love a bit of Hockney, me. Mr Maker's the only art I get to see these days. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking, uh, after yesterday, if there's any other ways that I could help. So, I thought I'd give this place a good bottoming. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 260 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catcher podcast that knows that Coronation Street is bigger than any of us, but Maureen Lippman is not any of us. I'm Gavin. And I just want to see the sky again. Oh. And I don't breathe a, correctly again. I don't have a melodrama button. I've got... I've fallen and I can't get up! We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. Well, I do. Oh, no! Helen is inviting me to guess how many fingers she's holding up. You are having a hard time breathing too. Well, only when I'm walking. It's fine when I'm just sitting about. So, a good as excuse not to I walk. As long as I don't go anywhere or move or do my anything. body, yeah, I'm fine. He says it's like that. You know that really ugly fish that lives at the bottom of the ocean—the one that kind of looks like Chesney a little bit. The blobfish? The blobfish. Right, which does not look like that when it's actually alive and under the sea, by the way. It's actually quite beautiful in its natural environment. I'm sure Chesney's quite beautiful in his own natural environment too. That fish's main thing that it does is conserve energy. <laughs> I think we're all a little bit of a blobfish every now and again, aren't we? <laughs> My main function is to conserve energy. Yes. Yeah, we have been under smoke for most of the week this week, and Michigan has had the, the worst the worst air quality in the world. <laughs> yeah, at least, not just the worst air quality in the U.S. Right, in the world, because it's all pretty bad. If you look at the map of like the air quality warning, it's it's at this point it's from here to New York, to the East Coast completely. Mm -hmm. And then in the south, they're under an extreme heat warning. Mm -hmm. a, a postal worker in Texas died while delivering the mail because it was 115 degrees Fahrenheit mm. outside. So, this country is so 45, is that about 45C, something like that. Yeah. Oofty, an oofty amount of heat. An, an oofty amount of heat. Yeah, we were, uh, when you looked at the map this morning, we were... Just the tip of the very unhealthy mm -hmm. to just simply unhealthy range. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of moved into just a, well, it's that's not great, but it's much better than it had been. Right, because we were at dangerous range. Yeah. It's not like, fun to look and see dangerous. A map that's covered in red and a deep, deep red. Right. Seldom means good things. No. But, oh, uh, it's just us and a few million other people, so... Hey-ho. Hey-ho. 
Hey ho. How are you otherwise? Oh, you're signalling again with one finger and it's confusing me. <laughs> Different finger. Auction talk. I'm fairly, very nearly done That's with... still funny? <laughs> Seemingly. Only when you say it. Okay. Very nearly done with the farmhouse auction. It's taken longer than I wanted it to because I was sick one week and then Stelly had her amoxicillin rash another week. No, oh, I forgot about and that. And then there that was, was we had to take her out to Connecticut another week. And then, and, and, you know, so it's taken longer than I wanted it to. And I just, I just want it done because I want to work on the children's auction and then the book auction. I'm quite excited because I got to go. Not this week, but last week, and and look at lots and lots of lovely, lovely art books in this lovely, lovely house filled with lovely, lovely art up in uh, the richy rich part of of Okemos. Oh. So, so that was fun. So I just sometimes people bring us stuff to put in the auctions that I have to kind of make a silk purse out of a out of a sow's ear, so to speak. Mm. You know, and sometimes, you know, sometimes that involves taking that sow's ear to goodwill. How was your week? I've got a uh, alias. <laughs> you do? We were having some fun at work. No, my boss had got an unsolicited call. And so one of my colleagues looked up the number on this website called Fast People Search and managed to find out a huge amount of detail about whoever was calling my boss. So, of course, I looked up myself and discovered that I have an alias. What? I'm not going to say what the exact alias is because then people can look that up and find out stuff about me. Yeah. But let's just say it was Frank F. Hoggle. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Frankie Hoggle. Yes, Frankie Hoggle. Who apparently is a known alias that I have. And that you didn't know about. That I didn't know about. And I don't know if that means that somebody's stealing... Well, they're not stealing my identity because they've got a different name. But right. it, it kind of suggests that something unpleasant is going on. And I've looked up this person and found them in the panhandle of Florida. And they got divorced round about the same time that I got divorced. And they're round about the same age as me. And I'm trying to find out uh, if I can find a picture of them. Because what if that picture... Looks like you. Looks like me. I think it's my dad. <laughs> Might be your dad. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that counterfeit Cory News. Does Coronation Street have a g-g-g-g-ghost? No, g g g ghost A g g g ghost Rikes. The answer is yes, according to Elm oh, okay, Mulvaney. Rob Mallard and Kel Allen. They've all experienced supposedly supernatural things. And in researching the story, I discovered that Simon Gregson was on Most Haunted once. He was, yeah. <laughs> was that before I think or after? It was, was it Most Haunted or was it I'm Famous and Scared or something like that? No, it was Most Haunted. Was yeah. Do you think Simon loves dick as well? Like Mary does. Mary loves dick. Mary loves dick. Mary loves dick. Dick. That was our, uh, God rest his soul, yeah. Derek Pacora impression. I wonder who he's haunting. <laughs> but unfortunately, 
OK Magazine's website would only let me read half of the article. And then when I clicked to read the rest of the article, it said that the article was not available in my country. So if you're in the UK and you find this article, please let me know about their experiences. I saw a little bit of Cal Allen's that supposedly they see like the ghosts of dead actors who were on the show walking around and stuff. And that it's haunted because so many legendary people have walked these cobbles, which I don't necessarily know is true because isn't this a newer... Yeah, they moved the whole set, didn't they? Right, yeah. So this isn't the original building. Well, maybe Maybe the the ghosts ghosts came with them. Yeah, yeah. They're they're like haunting the costumes or something. Or maybe it's old pish. (laughs) The trick or Television and Radio Industries Club Awards were this past week. And while Charlotte Jordan and Ryan Prescott were both nominated for Best Soap Actor, they both lost out to EastEnders' Danielle Harold, who is part of the huge... Who's the one who win the brain cancer storyline on EastEnders. So, well-deserved. And finally, we are happy to report that David Nielsen is, in fact, still alive. That was and a, that's Corey News. That was a terrifying few moments. Yes. Because somebody tagged me, I think it was a good friend, uh, John Giovinacci, who'd, <gasps> who'd heard... Who'd heard of rumours. Who'd heard the rumour and the Wikipedia page for David Nielsen had been updated to use the past tense <gasps> and stuff. And so I looked it up and, and tried to verify it from another source and it, and it was impossible because it, it, wasn't, it true. wasn't true. But... Who does something like that? This happens all the time. That they, this is Bruce Willis, Clint Eastwood, and now David Nielsen. You know, people just start these rumors. We are sad to report that so and so is dead. You know, just for the clicks, because people are horrified and say what, and they click, and then they're not in fact dead because they're not in fact dead. However, Alan Arkin did die today, so rest in peace, legendary. Film and television actor Alan Arkin. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. So it's time for me to hit the old YouTube button and say everyone's a critic. Uh oh. Daisy drops us a line saying thanks for the great last two podcasts. Smashed them whilst cleaning my house today. Love what you said about changing the logo. Small acts like that are actually huge. This was us changing the logo for the for the rainbow. Yes. And glad you said fuck off three times within the first five minutes. With <laughs> you all the way. I love them breaks. I hope there's never a sponsor that continues as it is. When Aggie's pal turned out to be broke, I gasped and said under my breath, way to go, Helen. Ah. My only major note recently is poor fucking Ryan. Don't know how he's managing. Carla is the best series auntie I've ever seen though, so really glad for her screen time and awaiting her seeing Bobag sometime soon. Glad you had a good holiday. Send you both great vibes from a rainy Glasgow. Thank you so much, Daisy. Oh, I wish it was raining, Daisy. And then we had a collection of letters who wrote on our Podbean page. Thanks for the interview at the end of the podcast. This was from our June 2nd episode, Salmonella Butty. I know I'm commenting a few weeks late, but I'm in Canada and only listen when the episodes have aired. I had no idea MND was so similar to ALS. Since the storyline started, I was curious to know what it was. Well, that's really good to know. And yes. I'm glad that the interview shed some light on that. Absolutely. Let's see who we've got to thank this week on Will Podcast for Coffee. 
we will be buying our own iced coffees <gasps> this week. But thank you to everyone for your generosity over the last 30 days. I'll be rounding up the donations that we made during June and let's just call it a hundred bucks and send that to the Motor Neuron Disease Association later this weekend. Humble gratitude to everyone who donated. It's very kind of you and we do appreciate it. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of every episode. But remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Lasher Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about absolutely nothing. Because we didn't do the podcast this week last last year because we were on the road in Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and did I say New Mexico? Arizona. There you go. Yeah, we were on the Holly Bobs this time we last year. We were at our Holly Bobs. And this should have been my clue that it was our anniversary coming up. <laughs> you know, the problem is that the 4th of July is such a big holiday here and it's your favourite holiday. Is it still your favourite holiday? Yeah. Not because I'm a xenophobic or anything like that. I just like fireworks and hot dogs and baseball. So it looms so large on the calendar it's easy to to forget that it casts a bit of a shadow over the 3rd of July which is our wedding anniversary. Correct. So thank you for reminding me of that in the kitchen yesterday. (laughs) 11 years. 11 years. And they said it wouldn't last. They literally said in court that in it wouldn't court, last. Under oath. We're doing it just for spite. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? So, yeah, <sighs> so there is no last year tonight. And there'll be no last year tonight next, next week, week either. Because we took two weeks off. I don't remember taking two weeks off. Yeah. Remember, we got the lapel mics and we're going to record ourselves right. driving in the car and thought, fuck that. Fuck that. that. <laughs> we're on holiday. Fuck that. Fuck All the way. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. We will take a quick break and we will be right back with this week's recap. We're back. Shall we dive in, Madea? Ah, you did that too fast. Yes, please. Now, due to smoke from the Canadian wildfires, the poor air quality and the hot temperatures in Michigan, we will have no time for any jokes this week. Our first storyline... That's all we'll have time for. <laughs> Our first storyline is Knocked Up Sarah. On Monday, in the morning, Adam has his... What? I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I never saw this coming. What? When did this happen? You done? Yes. In the morning, Adam has an apron on and is making a Scottish fry-up. Snossages, bacon, eggs, haggis, black pudding and tatty scones. And tomatoes. Oddly, and mushrooms. Oddly, Sarah's stomach is absolutely fine with all this. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the bistro, Leanne and Nick are wondering where the fuck Damon has got to ahead of the supposed meeting with Lindsay, who, let's remember, Nick knows. What does that mean? 
Leanne recalls that the last time she saw Damon, he was looking rather shifty. Nick thinks, though, that he's turned over a new leaf and genuinely seemed worried. So Nick and Leanne go to the meeting with this Lindsay character, who Nick knows. Nick does know. On their own. But they end up having to come back empty-handed because Damon was a no-show. Nick well, ha- but Nick knows her. Nick should have been able to handle this. It was Damon's meeting. They are so terrible at running this restaurant. <laughs> Nobody's taken responsibility. Nobody's seen the opportunity to step up. This is what Stephen should be doing. Instead of trying to run the factory, he should be running the bistro. He's picked the wrong niece slash nephew to try to gaslight into Mm. taking over their jobs. Right enough, though, all his expertise (coughs) is in fashion. And badgering people. (laughs) Clearly. And murder. (laughs) <laughs> so they end up having to come back empty-handed because Damon was a no-show Nick hasn't been able to get a hold of him on the phone But it seems at this point that Damon didn't nick the money from the safe But all his stuff is gone Sarah comes in and gets the Layla land from the pair of them So that that pleased me That Damon yes. hadn't stolen the money Right but he did contemplate it. You could see he him did. looking at the, at the safe. He did. It was, it. it was this cliffhanger. Did he or didn't he? Well, he didn't. So it makes you wonder what were in, in those bags then. Clothing. That he picked up from the office of the bistro. Toiletries. Well, maybe. A leg of ham. Who knows? A leg of ham. A leg of lamb. Sorry, <laughs> I was... I thought of ham, then I thought of lamb, and I tried to do the two of them at once. A leg of spam. Right. Or a spam of lamb. Ooh. Ooh, lamb ham. Ham a lamb a ding dong. <laughs> no jokes. We didn't say they'd be good. <laughs> she quickly rushes back to give Adam the good news that Damon has done a runner. Adam plays dumb in the matter, but can barely conceal his glee. Sarah goes to the rovers to celebrate with Dee Dee, but when she takes a drink of her wine, she balks at it. Helpfully, Bernie, Gemma and Tim's mum are in talking about babies, and this seems to force Sarah to do some quick addition of two and two in her head, and she rushes off, and she gets back to the flat with a pregnancy test kit. One splash of wee later, and it's confirmed. The least well-kept shock in soap. Sarah is up the duff. (gasps) And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. That hard. <laughs> Sarah's pregnant? How shocked are you? Zero volts or one to 24 million volts? Zero volts got 88.8% mm. and one to 24 million volts got 11.2%. Mm. And I wonder if that was people who genuinely were shocked or who or didn't people, understand the phrasing of the question. Right, or people who thought they were funny. So, Dee Dee comes round to make sure that Sarah's alright and has immediately handed Sarah's new secret. She's up the duff and she has no idea if it's Adam's or Damon's. Oh, tum, tum, tum. oh says Dee Dee. And Dee Dee says, oh, quite a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the bistro, Nick shares his suspicions with Leanne that maybe something untoward has happened to Damon and maybe Adam has been good to his threat from last week and killed him. What? Later, Adam gets home and Sarah wastes no time in letting him know her news. Adam seems happy for about one second before he realises what this means or what it suggests. And is further enraged when Sarah confirms that she doesn't know whose baby it is, although she's pretty sure that it's hers. (laughs) 
she does tell Adam that she's gotten her hold off of him the most. So if that's got anything, if that's right. any way to calculate so, these things. Statistically, it's yours. Right. Oh, and by the way, Dee Dee knows. Sierra thinks it might be best if she just goes and gets a termination. Adam can't deal with this right now, so leaves and goes to speak with Ken, but has to make do with Daniel instead. Right. So Adam tells Daniel the situation, and Daniel's bright idea is to go for a walk with him and Bertie to try and clear his head, which Adam agrees to, which, if anything, just cements Adam's suspicion that Mr. Osborne is a fanny. So Adam gets home and suggests that Sarah gets a non-invasive DNA test. Now, I didn't know that these were a thing. Really? So I looked it up. Uh-huh. And apparently you can get a non-invasive DNA test where it takes some of your... There's a word for it, for the type of fluid. It's not ambiotic fluid. Maybe it is ambiotic fluid. A- amniotic fluid. Close enough. Get some of that fluid and uh-huh. you can test the DNA in that. But it says, the source that I managed to find, that it can only be done between 20 and 24 weeks. Yeah, which she is not. Which she is not. Yeah. And at 20 to 24 weeks, you're you're getting... I don't know what it is in the UK, but think, here in America, you're getting, you're you're getting very close to not being able to get a termination. Yeah, it almost depending seems upon your state, deliberately close to that cutoff point, so you can't get an abortion just because it's not your baby daddy's. Yeah. Which. So, yeah. So and so I don't know how feasible this is, or if. Further research would have pointed me towards a different answer, but that was what I found. Yeah, the show is the show is flubbing science. Would you believe? <laughs> would you believe that a show that is fictitious is being fictitious? Yeah. Well, that's fine. It's fine. So Sarah agrees to it and reiterates that she'll do anything to save her marriage. Adam thanks her and goes to book the appointment. And later, while Sarah is out picking up Harry from football, in her condition as well, Nick comes around, no doubt on Leanne's instruction, to find out if Adam really did kill Damon. Adam gently explains to Mr Backbone that all he did was grass Damon up to the local crime lord and let nature take its course. Damon (laughs) will be alright as long as he can run fast enough. You going to shed any tears, he asks, and Nick admits not, although he is going to cry, but for different reasons. Right. Later, after Sarah comes home, she wants to know what the plans are. And... Adam says that he's planning on sticking by Sarah no matter what. Right. And she says, well, what do we do if the baby is not his? What do we do if it's Damon's? And Adam reminds her that she offered to get an abortion and asks if she could do that. And she says that she could. But she certainly doesn't look to be as committed to the idea as she once was. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It feels a bit like a moral quandary there. I want this baby if it's yours, but if it's not yours, I don't want this baby. Mm. This kind of suggested to me how this is going to play out. Yeah. Is that the baby is Damon's. not going to be Adam's, it's going to be Damon's. And it's kind of got to be Damon's really for the drama to work a little bit, doesn't it? Right. And she decides to keep it. Yeah. That seems to be the way that this seems to be going. And then Adam loses his shit. Right. And then lets slip what he did to protect their marriage. And so she should have the termination because look what he did to protect their marriage. And then Sarah loses her shit at him for potentially getting Damon killed by a local drug lord. So producers of 
Coronation Street if you haven't written that scene yet. It sounds like Helen's already got it in the back. Ha ha. I was right about um I was right about Now the Funk's old brother? Well that. Hmm. And also Aggie's old friend being poor. You were. I'm not sure if that's a <laughs> if that's an indication of future predictions, but anyway. On Wednesday, Didi, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory pretty much to gossip with Sarah about her duffage. She is worried that she and Adam are avoiding each other, so Sarah convinces Didi that she and Adam are going for a DNA test today. Today? asks Didi, who clearly thinks it's also impossible before 20 weeks as well. Right. Later, they meet up again in Nina's roles. Didi is now worried that Sarah is acting like it's no big deal, but Sarah tells her that it's all her mind can think about. She's all over the place and she can't sleep. She just needs to get the results done and back. So at the hospital, we join the scene just as Adam's DNA is being swabbed from his cheek. And we're told that it'll be two weeks before the result. Adam doesn't think it's too long. And Sarah seems to think it's an eternity. Back home, Didi shows up again to see how it went and wants to know what Sarah's plan is. Sarah is waiting to get the results and if it's Adam's, she'll keep it. And if it's not, she won't. It's a pretty binary decision, but she's looking more and more unconvinced every time she says it. We have mentioned many times that Didi is inadvertently becoming the street's secret keeper. Right. But here, in three out of the four scenes, Didi just appears to quiz Sarah about what's going on. So she's kind of gone from being an inadvertent secret keeper to bit of a nosy bitch. Shame on you. She was actually in the factory to take Michael out for lunch. Remember, her brother works there. Mm. How dare you? Yeah, I'm just here to, to see Michael, but oh, by the way. Right. Well, they are friends and she wants to be supportive. And if Sarah didn't want to tell her she was pregnant, Sarah wouldn't have told her she was pregnant. Well, we know why Dee Dee knows about this. It's the same reason why Daniel knows about it. So Sarah has somebody to talk to right. about her inner feelings without Adam finding out. And Adam has someone to talk to about his inner feelings without Sarah finding out. Right. But it's just funny that... It's Dee Dee. That Dee Dee just... <laughs> was in the storyline more than Adam was on Wednesday. Which is fine. I prefer Dee Dee to Adam. Her hair's certainly better. Yes! On Friday, Sarah gets into the factory where she still currently works. Michael shows off the maternity designs because of irony and plot. She suggests that they pitch the designs to Owen and she tries to keep her cool about the whole thing. But in the rovers later, Adam meets up with Michael and Sarah who have successfully pitched the maternity wear to Owen and when Adam learns about the maternity aspect of it, he suddenly remembers that he has an important meeting to attend and he leaves. Yeah, he was weird. Back home, Sarah is worried that Adam thinks that there could be something going on between her and Owen and this... I'm not sure why she jumped to this conclusion. Well, just because he would be jealous of any man with her right now because of the whole thing. You know, and because Sarah at some point, you know, Sarah says, I've been in your shoes where my partner cheated on me. And then I just saw cheaters behind every tree right, with but, the devil. But she's pregnant and she doesn't know whose baby it is right this would be a really bad time for her to hook up with a third man right but then she also says that she thought that he was uncomfortable with her hanging out with michael and it's like really 
Did Adam give the impression that that was true? Well, the way he kind of abruptly left, but it turns out all for the good. He left to do good things. He left to get a... No, not from that, he didn't. He left to get a tea, didn't no. he? And no, because this, cause he left the pub. Right. And then they meet up back at the flat where she says to him that he might be worried that there's something going on between her and Owen and there isn't. And he says that he's just stressed about the DNA results and then he leaves. And when he comes back from that, it's when he's come back from the shops with goods for Harry's project and some ice cream and a fancy tea that looked like a lasagna to me. What 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 project does does Harry have where he where he has to build a volcano at the age of what four? <laughs> He's, what what he, school do they have this baby in? He's moved on very quickly from <laughs> soft play. Soft volcano. This must be some kind of mon- Montessori. So Montessori, is that the word? Destruction. <laughs> Death. Okay. So they've got a fancy tea that looked like a lasagna to properly celebrate Sarah's success of Michael designing new clothes. As Sarah goes to put the messages away, it looks like Adam is contemplating checking her phone, but I don't think he does. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So, were you shocked about Sarah's pregnancy? I'm shocked! Shocked! Well, not that shocked. Not that shocked. I just did a meme. Did you? I did. The Futurama one where he says I'm shocked, shocked, and then says, well, not that shocked. Okay. I think we said as well the other week that it doesn't really matter that some things are obvious and some things are clearly going to happen because of the way that the story has been set up. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. That it's predictable. It's kind of what they do with it. Right. That kind of makes it interesting and, and worthwhile. And I don't know that they succeeded in that this week. Yeah. But in fairness, there are things that happen in other storylines this week. That I was surprised by and was shocked by. So it evens out. Yeah, I mean, out of the, I think there were just the five storylines this week. And this one was probably probably my least favourite uh-huh. out of the, the five of them. Maybe second least favourite. So where you kind of want something to compensate for the fact that this shocking event wasn't shocking in the slightest. We didn't, we didn't really get that, except Adam's now behaving kind of weirdly. And looking like he's checking a phone, but not really. And being accused of being jealous of Sarah and Owen, but is he really? And maybe. And then Sarah and Michael. Right. But I don't think he's given I don't any know. indication of that. It just, I don't it know. just seems, it's seems really strange. So, yes. so what do you think about the, the way that this is going to go? It's got to be Damon's kid, right? It's got to be. Well, if it's not Damon's, if it's Adam's. The story just stops, right? Right. The story dies on the vine if it's Adam's kid. Now, normally you would say that that typically doesn't happen. Cornish Street has got a little bit of of a habit recently of extending stories too far rather than cutting them back. But we did just get rid of scaffolding that served really no purpose for the best part of a year. Yes. So... I don't think it's impossible that it's Adams, but it just seems very, very unlikely. Right. But based on the discussions that they've had so far, I don't know that Adam is the sort of man who's going to be capable of looking after another man's baby. I mean, he already is. 
it's a slightly different situation. It's true. And by slightly, I mean completely. Right. I think that would probably spell spell the end for them. Yeah. Which I've talked about before. Is like I'm not really all that invested in it. No. I, I kind of became a little bit more invested in it more recently. But yeah. I still don't think I'd be really that bothered if, if, if they, they split, split up. up. The, the fun comes from the, the coupling. Right. Once they're in a couple... It's gonna just a matter of time before they split up almost. Right, yeah. Nobody lasts or, anymore. Or they both just have their own individual storylines, but they're still a couple. Like Carla, for mm. example. Nobody knows where Peter is. Having a fucking clue. Having a clue where Peter is. But Carla is all about being Auntie Carla now and also dealing with factory stuff this week. So she but, she can be completely independent of the coupling that they're in, and that's fine. It's even more bizarre when you consider the state that Carla was in when Peter went AWOL. Because Carla was just coming out of her supposed relapse into mental health issues, and this is the time that Peter's chosen to abandon her? Or is he, is he meant to be there and we just don't see him? Because that's no, cause possible. remember... Remember, wasn't it last week where she said that he'd fucked off to Scotland or oh, something with a boat. friend? Oh, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, something like that. No, his boat burned down. Remember? Oh, but his friend's boat. Yes, his friend's boat. Because he doesn't have a boat anymore, thanks to Roy and his sleepwalking. Right. Well, let's just hope it hasn't gone on any submarines recently. <laughs> oh, too soon. Not soon enough. <laughs> so Damon's out of it. He hasn't stolen the money. He hasn't been the rotter. He hasn't damaged anybody else by his departure, which is nice. It's just a matter of time before he comes back, though, isn't right. it? Right. Do you think Jacob's going to come back? I hope so. Me I don't too. think he will, though, judging by... Well, what is John Jack Ryan doing right now? Didn't he have another gig? I thought he got another gig. I thought he had another gig, too, but I haven't really heard it. But I thought it was temporary. I thought it was just for like six months or something. I thought it was like a limited series or something. We would welcome him back with open arms. Absolutely. And I'm sure Amy would as well. Yes. Oh, well, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Mad Max 4 Redemption Road. On Monday, Max is in the precinct when he's mounted from behind by Gav. Yay! Who has been let out of the Young Offenders thing. Woo! Smell the freedom, he says. Max pretends to be thrilled to see him. Gav says he hasn't yet seen Beck, but he can't wait till he has plans to propose and Max can be best man. Gulp, says Max. And he says that Beck has moved on and has seen another guy. Who demands Gav? Me, says Max. Why? Why? Why I oughta? Why would he tell him? Why? Why I oughta? Screams Gav and he goes for Max and starts banging him against the wall. Yes. But not like that. But not like that, unfortunately. I also said that uh, Max was mounted from behind and you didn't say I'm not like that. I'm very disappointed in you. Max pleads for his life when... You didn't Be- give me enough time. Beck appears out of her house. Max, she shouts. Beck, Max shouts. Beck, says Gav. And he laughs a little bit like Eddie Murphy did in Coming to America. That's not Beck. That's Sabrina. Gav's sister. Yes. What? what? I guess this might be the bit that you didn't see coming. Yeah, you are correct. I did not, I 100% did not see this coming. 
we had all these plans for this love triangle storyline and we were playing 4d chess with a storyline right. what was going to happen because this was maybe all a ruse between gav and beck that they were right. setting max up right and this that and the next thing and nope the show was playing checkers <laughs> we were playing 4d chess and the show was playing checkers yes without knowing the rules <laughs> But I'm so checkers. I am so glad that that they were playing checkers without knowing the rules, because I didn't want a reason to dislike Gav or Sabrina as as she is. And if anything, Gav's reaction to this when he was pissing himself laughing right. was just superb. It was. And Max is like, as the audience during this and going, "What? What?" what? Just superb. It's all a bit confusing, so right. let, let's walk through it. Gav hates Sabrina because Sabrina stole money from him. Yes. But Sabrina had been chucked out of their mum's place. Right. And so broke into Gav's because apparently Gav is living on his own in a precinct flat. Right. What? Well, apparently Beck was staying there too, wasn't she? And she pretended to be Beck so Max wouldn't tell Gav, I guess. Yes. You lied, says Max to Sabrina. Right. Walking right into it for the first but not the last time this episode. You're one to talk, says Sabrina, and she announces to Gav that Max is a racist and a terrorist. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, about that, says Max. But Gav has had enough of these two idiots and he wanders off to places unknown. And that... Define back. Just cracked me up. He's got his hands stuffed in his pockets. Yep. He juts his head out for some reason. Mm -hmm. And it just... Just wanders off kind of almost into the camera right. with a kind of goofy expression on his face. Did you see the video of that actor like on his first day walking through Coronation Street and no. you know, and and talking about farm toys and, and the creepy baby in the baby doll in the um charity shop and, and, and swipes a bag of crisps and says, No, 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 I'm a good boy, goes to put them back and he's like, No, I'm not, ha ha and he runs away. He's so adorable i am so glad it seems like gav and sabrina are here to stay yeah yes we would like to keep them please oh the pair of them are are wonderful and they've got a lovely little uh, chemistry already and the more that the they interact with max the the better that the three the the relationship between the three of them is it's, it's just and I really don't want to be forgiven of Max no. too sim- too easily right. and too simply. Yeah, which is my only problem with the storyline. Right. Yeah, it just feels a little, a little too soon. I'm not. I'm not sure that you've really yeah paid the price for what you were involved in. Right. Too much, but this this relationship and the dynamic between right. the three of them is it's just really really it's good. Great. Yeah. So Max and Sabrina go to Nina's roles where Max gets time to explain his grooming by Griff and how he hates everything about what he did and how Griff managed to exploit his vulnerabilities and issues at home. And his ADHD. Yeah, which I'm glad that they remember. Yes. Although Sabrina does say, you know what, I've got some friends that have got ADHD and they didn't blow anybody up, which is, you know, a fair point. A fair point. He understands that Sabrina doesn't want anything more to do with him, despite the fact that the two of them don't get to be happy too often. You're a cutie pie, says Sabrina, and I hope you can turn it round. And she leaves. 
So Max goes back to the precinct and basically has the same conversation with Gav with the added apology of going out with a girl that he thought was Beck. Right. Gav seems like a decent enough bloke or just doesn't care one way or the other. Right. And the two of them seem to make amends. Right. But Gav does not call him a cutie pie. No. Back home, Max opens up to Shona about how his crimes are going to haunt him for the rest of his life. But at that, there's a knock at the door and it's Sabrina. She's turned up on his doorstep and she's demanding toast. So, Good girl. So I guess somebody must make her toast. And so she and Max are chatting and decide to take things slowly and give it a, give it a try. She reckons that if Griff can turn Max into a racist scumbag, maybe she can turn him into a regular mixed up teenager. Yes, try to change him. That'll work. So she gives him a Always second. Does. So she gives him a second chance on the proviso that he makes her more toast and doesn't let her down in future. And he says that he won't, and he definitely will. On her way out later, a mysterious figure watches Sabrina leave. They take down their hood, and it's none other than Racist Kelly. It is Racist Kelly. Dum dum dum. Dum 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 dum. We last saw Racist Kelly heading off to Devon to live with her mum. Correct. And she wanted Max to run off with. Yes. And he refused. He's like, nope, don't want to see you ever again. So Wednesday, Nina rolls, a journalist has been in touch with Max about Griff, who is due to be sentenced soon. And Shona advises, ignoring it for now. Meanwhile, he's off to spend the day with Sabrina, as opposed to going to school or anything like that. It's the summer holidays. Not yet. Not in England, it's not. But as Max is waiting at the tram stop for the second time this week, he's jumped from behind, this time by racist Kelly. And Max is not pleased to see her. So he was going to school on the inside mm-hmm. with with Daniel. Yes. How does that work once he gets out? Because I would I would assume there would be a difference between regular school and juvie school. Yeah, regular school, they don't lock you up afterwards. Correct. That's just one of the differences. One of one of many. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they just say, well, it's it's too late to put him back in a regular school for the rest because there's only like a week left. I would think that maybe it's going to have problems getting into a regular school because remember, Weddy High didn't want him after no. the upskirting thing. Right. Was it the upskirting thing or was it the uh, spiking it was the spiking, Daniel's drink thing? Yeah, spiking Amy's drink thing, I think, was more because the principal didn't care at all about the upskirting thing, if you'll remember. Mrs. Croshaw, all she cared about was getting into Daniel's pants. <laughs> Because problematic, she had just a little. She had problems at home. <laughs> Getting into pants. They go to the community garden, and Max asks her what she's doing here. Turns out she's fallen out with her mum, or more uh, precisely, her mum's boyfriend, who thinks that she should get a job. Oh no, not a job! <laughs> Rather than do that, racist Kelly ran away in her gym jams back to Weatherfield. She wants nothing more to do with her dad or Griff. It seems that she's knocked the racism on the head after the bomb stuff as well. Which is interesting considering that she was indoctrinated from an early age. Right. A really early age. She kind of says something like that. Something to that effect later on. So Max takes racist Kelly to Nina Rolls for a cuppa. Shona is not happy to see her and neither is Sabrina who comes in after waiting at the tram stop for six or seven hours on Max who never showed up. Shona is quick to introduce Sabrina as Max's girlfriend and introduces racist Kelly as Max's racist ex-girlfriend. 
racist Kelly makes her excuses and leaves. And this lets Sabrina and Max chat about it. Sabrina isn't the jealous type, but they've been going out for two minutes. And now his Nazi ex shows up. She's here for the change, she says. He insists that he gets it and wants to make it work with Sabrina and promises to set racist Kelly straight and tell her to fuck off. So we go back to the community garden where Max tells racist Kelly that he can't help her. He's moved on. Racist Kelly wants to move on too but says that she can't do it on her own. Back home, Shona tells Max that the police will be coming around to speak to him about Griff's case next week so we've got that to look forward to. And while Shona's attention is distracted, Max nicks the keys to the salon and just like actual non-racist Kelly let homeless Jews sleep at the barbers, he lets racist Kelly sleep at the salon. Racist Kelly is looking for a wee bit of Nazi love to tide her over but Max puts the kibosh on that and locks racist Kelly in the salon. Fuck you, you cow. <laughs> so on Friday, up with the milkman, that's a still a thing. A wee electric milkman cart. Uh-huh. When do you ever see them? Never. Never. He goes to unlock the salon and let racist Kelly out. She still manages to complain, despite the fact that she didn't have to sleep in a bus station last right, night. Right, yeah, she was complaining about all the creepy ladies on the wall staring at her. But at her insistence, the ghost of Audrey. <laughs> but, uh, Not yet! But at her Audrey's ins- still alive! She still has ghosts. But at her insistence, they agree to meet for breakfast. Nigel Havers. But he's wise enough to make sure it's not at Nina's Rolls. So at the tram station back from breakfast, Max gets a message from Shona telling him about the police looking for a statement about his griff days. He's unsure about doing it and talks to a passing spider, the person spider, not (laughs) the arachnid, who says that once griff has been sent down, he can put all this behind him. And Spider doesn't really look back on those days with much fondness either. Right, yeah. Well, And the the important thing is that Shona is calling to let him know that the the interview has been moved up to today. Right now, in fact. Right now. You're late. So Max gets home and speaks to the WPC. They are looking for his... It's actually probably just PC now these days, isn't it? They are looking for his victim personal statement and he doesn't need to be in court to deliver it. An advocate can do that for him. So he agrees. And Max explains the events of the whole Griff storyline to the copper. We've heard it all before and we've talked about it a million times, so I won't go over it all again here. Most of it, though, seems to be news to Shona, whose memory hasn't been the same since that time she was shot in the stomach. Later, Max meets... (laughs) She references that this week, and I'm so glad she did. When when he and Sabrina are in in Nina's roles, and and she says, Oh, hi, Beck. And Max says, actually, it's Sabrina. And and Shona says, I may have been shot in the stomach and gotten brain damage and have bad memory. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but Beck and Sabrina aren't even close. <laughs> right. I'm so glad that she, she remembers that she has brain damage. Later, Max meets racist Kelly again and gives her a set of keys for the salon. That's a bad idea. Such a bad idea. Racist Kelly is grateful and goes in for a quick winch, but he pulls away and she apologises. He tells her that they can only be mates and nothing else. That's as far as we get with that this week. (sighs) She will not take no for an answer. This is a bad idea. Foolish of young Max. Yes, because this is going to be found out quite quickly. Because the salon is still in business. And she's going to oversleep, especially since he gave her keys, so he won't be the one waking her up. And that feels like maybe the best thing that can happen. I think far worse things can probably happen. I don't know what 
what Max and I owes, think she's still racist. What does Max owe racist Kelly? Nothing. Nothing, but he feels bad because she has a bad home life and he doesn't. He has people who actually love him. But I think her mom loves her. If she just got a job, then the boyfriend would be okay with her. Unless that is just a cover story and there's actually something very untoward Mm -hmm. about the boyfriend, which statistically there would be. Sure. But yeah, he owes her nothing. I think she had kind of changed her tune a little bit just before she left. Yeah. She seemed to be kind of on the road to redemption a little bit. Right. But at How- the end of the day, this is nothing, this is not Max's concern. No. It wasn't Max's concern a week ago, so no. it's not Max's concern now that she's uh, back in Weatherfield. Right. So being a young man like Max, who's just come out of, for all intents and purposes, jail, and trying to put the past behind him and trying to make up for the past mistakes that he's made is given this incredible chance of redemption from Sabrina has something that looks like a future with her seems to have maybe the best friend that he's ever had in, in Gav has the a, best person in the show has a, has a decent home life and a better relationship with with David and with Shona, who yes. is such a lovely mother to him this week yes, as well. absolutely. She's so proud of him after he gives his victim uh, personal statement. Why would he put all that in jeopardy for this girl that he kind of knew for a couple of weeks last year? Hormones. Which is dumb, because Sabrina. But, and, I, it, and I do think that there's some guilt there, because he ha- does have a better home life. The way she kind of lets slip that she's assuming that he's only dating Sabrina so that people will think that he's not racist anymore. Yeah, which and racist Kelly kind of hints at as well. That's that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. She says that. And he says, "That's why do you think that's why I'm with her? And I think that's why she keeps trying to, you know, kiss him and stuff. Because he, she's just, she's assuming that that's what he's doing. So she's just playing along until she can get back in his pants yeah Which, I, don't, I don't think someone who can be so appalled and disgusted by darian remember yeah i don't know how she goes so quickly from that to an acceptance of sabrina right like a, a few months later right i'm not i'm not sure how that works because yeah. that was kind of ingrained in us that was a right but let's remember it was Islamophobia that was ingrained in her mm-hmm. more than, more than you know, racism against black people. Right. Yeah. Mm. They they were very specific because let's remember there was one black guy there at that meeting and Griff says you know what I'm talking about, but brother. You didn't, but you didn't know what he was talking about. And the guy says, "Don't look at me, man. I'm just here for the free donuts." I came here for a leaflet <laughs> and to have a wee chat with Yasmin. That's all I came here for. I came here for the Tai Chi. Yeah, it does very foolish behaviour from Max. And the hormone thing, I, I would kind of maybe think a few months down the line, but he's literally just got back with Sabrina. Right. This week. In fact, kind of the same day. Yeah. And, and to jeopardise that just seems ridiculous. But then to take it further and to give 
Racist Kelly a key to Audrey's property, his great grand's property, is. I just don't know what he's thinking. He's not thinking. He seemed to be thinking better, but it's just. That's just so stupid. That that prefrontal cortex is not fused completely yet. Do you think we are ever going to meet Beck? I don't know. I don't know. Or is Beck going to be like Meris Crane and just be referred to and never seen? Or or Howard's mom on on Big Miss, Bang Mrs. Theory. Mrs. Wallowitz, yeah. Yes. Although we do see her back once. Vera from Cheers. We see her full body, but she's got a, a uh, pumpkin pie in her face. So you don't actually see her face. <laughs> Do we ever see Meris? Do we ever see any part of her? I think we might. Anyway, I love her. This is not a Fraser podcast. Not yet. Let's move on to our next storyline then, which is Duking for Salvation. On Monday, Paul has spilled his nutty clusters. But not like that. Bernie comes in and suggests that she gives their flat a proper bottoming as a way to apologise for like that. whatever shite she pulled last week and just generally to help out a bit. She ought to be careful using the term bottoming when she goes into it's, a it's, gay couple's apartment. It was almost like it was there to give a little bit of a fnar fnar. Right. It's also the title of this week's episode. <laughs> she wants to be useful, which allows Paul and Billy to go out. So they go to the pub where they run into Dee Dee, who's been there all day. Dee Dee on Monday was in the pub all day. It was her day off. Where else was she supposed to be? The conversation drifts to bucket lists, but Paul isn't interested in anything flash. And in fact, would love to just have a good old game of old-fashioned darts. Todd is there and Gemma has a word with him as an idea to give Paul the day he wants is just formed in her head. And so everyone agrees to play Paul at darts with everyone else playing with their wrong hand. Typically, Todd tries to pull the wool over their eyes by pretending to be left-handed, but Billy knows better, and no one thinks to ask why. It's a hoot and a half, and Paul has a great laugh with his pals. Back at the flat, though, Gemma goes to the fridge to get them a couple of beers and finds one of Bernie's crystals hidden behind the cheese. <laughs> she whispers to Gemma to put it back in place, and she's hidden tons of them round about the place. She says that Billy has his faith, and she has hers, and Gemma promises to keep shtum about it. On Wednesday, Gemma and Bernie are chatting about the author's coordination they've been getting for Paul's fund, but neither of them reckon that Paul will be up for any white knighting. Bernie remembers the ice bucket challenge and then gets a chilli in her eye. What a tube. And this gives Gemma an idea. And and me <laughs> and the show kind of seem to think the same thing, that rather than have an ice bucket challenge, have a stick chilli in your eye challenge. <laughs> I thought that's what she was talking about. But she doesn't think that. It's a chilli challenge to see... I guess the hottest chilli that people can eat. Or how many chilies a person can eat. As Gemma and Bernie explain this at Billy's, Bernie continues to hide more crystals around about the house. It's a great way to allow people to help, and Paul thinks if it gives Bernie something to do and gets her off his back, it's worth doing it. In the pub, Billy knows it doesn't sit comfortably with Paul to accept his help, but Paul is genuinely happy that Bernie has knocked the crystals thing on the head. Or has she? But during their chat, Paul announces that he sees himself as a heathen and he's never been christened or anything like that. And this makes Billy's jaw drop. It does. Turns out Gemma and Paul were blessed at a festival somewhere by a wizard. (laughs) Yeah, accurate. They they were due to be baptised by a vicar, but Paul had the chicken pox, so missed it. 
which means we're to believe that he didn't give the chicken pox to his twin sister, but whatever. On Friday at Billy's, he and Paul are comparing plans for the day. Paul is meeting with Dee Dee for lunch, and Billy has checked his diary for the return of Christ, but it's looking empty for today. He invites Paul to the church later to baptise him. Paul thinks he's joking, then he really thinks he's joking, and then he realises that he's not joking. He is not. Paul puts his foot down, he doesn't want to do it, and he doesn't want baptised neither. Todd finds a forlorn Billy in Nina's rolls. What's up? asks Todd. Paul's not been baptised, says Billy, in the same way as he would say, Paul shoved Mike. Todd makes light of Billy, who takes a huff and leaves. <clears throat> right, yes. yes. Thin-skinned Billy, or what? Well, really? I can see Billy's point. I can see Billy's point. He is freaking a man of the cloth, for Pete's sake, and both his ex and his current partner both think God is stupid. Mm-hmm. So I can understand why Billy is frustrated and his feelings are hurt. I think my feelings would be hurt too. But this should not be Fortunately, news. Fortunately, though, you've been christened. This should not be news to, to Billy. Well, maybe it has never come up. Then that's fine. I mm. mean, were you ever baptized isn't really a question that comes up very often. No, but their, their thoughts about religion might do if your job is being a vicar or right. an archdeacon. Right. Well, he knows and seems to accept... Paul's atheism, but he seems to believe that all you have to do to go to heaven is get baptized? Uh, yes. This this seems to be what develops in the storyline. So, so Billy hasn't really read his Bible recently? No. Or, or Ever? really at all. What do you think is going on, Billy? More and more, I share Den's frustration that that the show seems to not understand Christianity at all, or what vicars do, or archdeacons. And it's all right for the show not to understand it, but it's not really all right for an archdeacon to not understand it. Right, yeah, and since the show is writing that archdeacon, it's Mm -hmm. not all right for the show to not understand it. And in the rose later, Paul talks to Didi, who talks about her church going when she was in LA. LA has churches? And she talks about her connection with God. Paul. That's where that's where that's where the 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 that fancy church that Chris Pratt and and um and that Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter goes to is in LA. Sure. The, Paul, the, the Hillsong one. Paul is jealous of their faith. He doesn't know what to believe in, but Paul's interest is piqued when Dee Dee tells him about a Disney themed baptism that she attended. Fucking California, eh? <laughs> The discussion continues in the rovers, and it seems that lots of people have had stupid baptisms, and not all of them were in California. There was a circus one. Paul still seems... Where they jumped from the high dive into a pool to be baptised. <laughs> Paul... What the hell is this... What the... what the hell does this show think Christianity is? If Paul had shoved Mike into a puddle, <laughs> would, would that Mike be, be baptised? Maybe it would have been. Well, it's like it's like uh, Todd suggesting that Billy just sprinkle on Paul in his sleep, but not like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> baptized with cum or pee? Oh, that sounds like a Cannibal Corpse song, doesn't it? I was thinking more urine, but oh, okay, because that's a liquid. Cum's not really a liquid; it's a viscous. Viscous. Yeah. 
well, with, with any luck it is. <laughs> Paul still isn't sure that soul salvation is on his bucket list. And Dee Dee tells him to tell Billy how he feels. Which didn't he already yeah. when he told Billy to fuck off and he didn't want to be baptized? <laughs> right. They've already had this conversation, I think he was kind of clear. Catch up. Didi leaves and Todd arrives. Todd explains how Billy has a bucket of sand under his foreskin thanks to Paul shoving Mac and not wanting to be baptised. Paul asks for Todd's advice. Todd isn't sure, but says funerals aren't for the dead, which is useful because no one was talking about funerals. But I think what he's saying is... The funeral is a kind of distraction from the fact that your loved one has passed yeah, away. Yeah, and it gives you a chance to say goodbye to your loved one. And Billy's fixation with baptism is a kind of distraction from the fact that Paul is not long off this earth. Right, that he's going to die and he needs to have something that he can do. Later at home, Paul has cooked dinner. Billy is very impressed. One-handed. Paul talks about his conversation with Dee Dee about baptism and he's decided that he's not completely against that idea if it would make Billy happy. And Billy says, don't do it just to make me happy. And Paul says, no, I'm doing it to make me happy because making you happy would make me happy. So that still kind of means that he's doing it to make Billy happy. Right, yeah. He's just not entirely on board with it just yet. And that seems good enough for Billy, who thanks Paul anyway. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes, and Paul is wearing Billy's yellow apron. Yeah. And Den Lives One was not impressed by that. That apron has been ruined forever now. So here we have the conflicting... Face. Yes. Bernie with her crystals and and Billy with God. Well, the Christian God. Right. And Paul does not seem keen on either. But this is what I don't like about it. The, The whole doing it to make either one of them happy. Both of them should be doing things to make Paul happy in these final days or weeks well, or months or whatever. Well, they do seem to be doing that as well, like with the one-handed darts. I, I, I don't think they're making them happy with all this chat and with the crystal stuff. Well, as as Todd says, this is this is to ease their pain with his death. But God, if you can't make your own death about you, what can you do it? We just seem determined to complicate Paul's demise. Right. And this is actually a little bit less uh, less rent than the car theft and stuff that we really right. could have done yeah, without. I'm glad, we're, I'm glad that's done. This is actually p- part of it that makes a little bit more sense than, than all that stuff. Right. But I don't know, it's just it just makes me a, a little bit uncomfortable that Paul is having to adjust his own beliefs just are we going to get a deathbed conversion here because that's that's not a great look well it's also not a great look the idea that Paul's going to get baptized just to make Billy happy and not well, because that's of exactly, a right. true declaration of faith mm-hmm. which is what it should be you know and that's all it is folks it's just a declaration of your faith it does not save you mm. it does not save your soul so, shut up, Billy. Well, Read your Bible. If you're apt to believe any of that. Uh, the Disney uh, baptism does sound like it could be quite good fun, though. <laughs> I think I need more information than that part of it. Right, yeah, because it's like the, the, the preacher dressed up like Sebastian the Crab. 
I hope he didn't do the Jamaican accent because I'm assuming it's a white guy. <laughs> but so many <clears throat> questions. Yeah, so many questions. It's lovely to see Gemma doing so much to make Paul happy. That aspect of it, the bits that we got on Monday I thought were great. That the, the construction of a, of a bucket list, that feels like a, a good storyline for Paul, doesn't it? He yes. has his bucket list and he's trying to get through as many of them as possible. It sounds like it maybe is a bit expensive, but he right. said that his tastes are cheap. Right. What he wants is to have a beer and to play darts with his pals. So right. it seemed to be it's not like skydiving or climbing Kilimanjaro no, or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and somebody says Vegas and he's like, I you know, I don't need to go to Vegas. I you know, I would be just as happy going where did he say? It wasn't Blackpool, but it was someplace you can gamble in the United Kingdom, which mm. I guess is everywhere. Mm. Well, someplace with casinos. Where's a place with casinos? Yeah, they're probably everywhere. You just need a license from the council. Right, yeah, but like a casino casino. Yeah. Not like a little one-room shack with... I know what a casino is, Helen. They do have them in Scotland. Right, yes, but like big major ones yes, aren't in every they, town. They do have them in Scotland. Yeah, though. but they're not in every town. No, because you need a license from the council, and the council is right. kind of hesitant to give those things out because of the sort of things that casinos attract right sometimes yes. the but only the only thing i saw in scotland was that one that one in, in your mum's town that we walked by by the restaurant which isn't really a casino it was just like a betting that's a, that's lounge a bookmakers. yeah yeah we don't get bookmakers here no so that that's why helen doesn't know what a bookmaker is this is true again this is not a gambling podcast <laughs> Isn't it? Or a Fraser podcast. <laughs> or very much of a Coronation Street podcast. <laughs> All right. Let's move on then to our penultimate storyline, which is Tim's mum about the house. Huzzah! I thought we were going to get another murder this week. I think we came close. <laughs> On Monday, in the lovely flat, Tim's mum is doom-scrolling on her phone when she spots an ad for a Tai Chi class in the community centre. There's an introductory class for the over-50s tonight, and she'd love to go. Wait. Knock yourself out, says Stephen. Before that, she's in she's in the Rovers, and she gets the idea to doom-scroll for the Tai Chi thing from Jenny, who suggests dancing classes, and she says, oh, well, I'm not one for dancing. Yeah, I didn't think that detail was worth mentioning well i enjoyed i enjoyed that part where it was just like ladies in the rovers talking about weddings and and dancing and floral dresses and stuff there you go i enjoyed that part that's a saved time claimed back but tim's mum was hoping this would be something they could do together oh pig's tits says Stephen. So later, they're on their way to the stupid class when they run into Jenny, who seems to be a bit of a fan of Tai Chi. Come with us, says Stephen a little bit too eagerly. But Tim's mum points out that Jenny has plans to get pumped by Owen tonight. Jenny walks off for her pumping, leaving Stephen looking at her all forlorn. On Wednesday at home, Tim's mum is doing Tai Chi to New World Music while Stephen pesters Owen with text messages and he snaps at her whittering on about fucking Tai Chi as he's trying to concentrate. He quickly apologises and then heads off for work and Tim's mum is very disappointed in this. He's so weird. You would think you would think a guy who's murdered three people 
would know at this point how to keep his cool and understand that pestering somebody over and over and over again via text message <laughs> is not going to get that person to keep his job. I think it's the fact that he's got this in his head that Owen is toying with him, is deliberately ignoring his messages. It's not that Owen's not getting these messages. It's Owen is getting these messages and isn't going to satisfy him by giving him a response. Right, yeah, because he does Which not deserve hilarious. him. He does not... He does not owe him anything, Owen. Oh, Owen no. owes him nothing. And you know, if Stephen is such a hotshot businessman, the one thing that you learn is business is business. Right, and also don't be so over-eager. At the factory, Stephen is leaving more messages with Owen. Stephen finds this humiliating. There's no Canadian would dare treat him like this. Michael suggests more crawling. Stephen says that he misses Canada. And Michael points out that, you know, if you don't get this sorted out with Owen, you're going to lose your job. Yeah, thanks for that, Michael. Right. So maybe move back to Canada. Later, Tim's, which you should have done a month Months ago. ago. Later, Tim's mum, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory looking for Stephen, but meets Michael instead. Michael thinks it'll take more than Tai Chi to cheer Stephen up. Realising that he's about to put his foot in it, Michael quickly backtracks, but then rather than saying that he's about to lose his job, tells Tim's mum that Stephen is homesick. In the pub, Jenny thinks Stephen is looking for Owen, but Stephen is just trying to clear the air about the mess that he made with Owen about the relationship with Jenny, and Jenny, Jenny promises to have a word with Owen when she realises that Stephen might lose his job over this. On Friday, in Nina's rolls, Stephen and Tim's mum bump into Jenny, who tells Stephen that Owen said no, and Tim's mum is annoyed when Stephen doesn't offer a full explanation of what that was all about. Right. It's Canadian 4th of July tomorrow, Canada Day, and some of Stephen's Canadian friends have sent him a video, and he admits to feeling a little homesick, which is what Michael said yesterday. Right. So Stephen gets to the factory where he still currently works, desperate to know if Carla and Owen were close to finalising their deal. Wouldn't you like to know, Bob Ag, says Carla. Owen is not pleased to see Stephen and thinks it's low to get Jenny involved in their business dealings. Stephen says his firing will be to Underworld's detriment and invites Owen to his flat at lunchtime to discuss Stephen's business acumen and to listen to the new Huey Lewis and the News album. Their early work was a little too new wave for Stephen's tastes. But when Spokes <laughs> came out in 83, he thought that they really came into their own commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but Stephen thinks Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humour. I don't think that's true. About what? I think Elvis Costello is far more cynical and dark in his lyrics than Huey Lewis or the news. Well, of course. But that's the point. Haha. <laughs> Patrick's wrong about everything. That's true. Yeah. So Owen shows up at the flat and Stephen goes through his resume of experience and knowledge. Owen doesn't... That whole thing was an American Psycho joke, by the way. So Owen shows up at the factory and Stephen Thank goes through... Thank you for explaining your joke. His, that makes it so much funnier. His resume of experience and knowledge... Owen doesn't buy it and doesn't trust Stephen and doesn't think Seagull exists and reckons Stephen is embezzling money and has been stirring things between him and Jenny deliberately. Stephen fills with rage, his fists clench, and just before he's looking for a hole punch, Tim's mum, Sarah, Audrey and Michael jump out. Surprise! It's Happy Canada, Canada Day. Day! And they're all decked out in Canadian garb. 
looking very much like Canadians on a foreign holiday. And wearing antlers in their hats. Audrey pours a glass and looks like she's going to hand it to Stephen, but instead she drinks it. That was hilarious. Because the show remembers that Audrey's supposed to be an alcoholic. <laughs> and isn't that funny? It actually is kind of funny. <laughs> Tim's mum, having heard all of this, right. is far from happy. Owen thinks they're all fucking Fruit Loops and announces that thanks to Stephen's weirdness he's going to pull out of buying the factory. He will, though, honour the nipper-snapper deal because it's not all bad. Everyone leaves and Stephen's mood has improved, but Tim's mum is still worried that he has feelings for Jenny. Stephen laughs it off and says that he never really had feelings for her in the first place, and to prove it, he suggests that they go to Jenny's pub. Yeah. In the pub, Stephen sits with Tim's mum for about a minute before going off to speak to Carla. She reckons that he had something to do with Owen pulling out and now demands to have but a not meeting like that. with the seagull people. <laughs> but not but not those kind of seagull people. Stephen agrees <laughs> to set something off. It's like people with seagull heads? It's a meeting of the knicker people and the seagull people. <laughs> the whole... The whole French fry supply in Manchester would be decimated. Dave's would be inundated. Chips. Not French fries. You can say either. Okay. Stephen agrees to set something up. Carla, though, wants the meeting tomorrow. Dum dum dum. And that's as far as we get with that. So he week. has to go with a big net and start <laughs> hooking seagulls. From the local dump. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the seagulls that we saw at Niagara Falls. Yes. Hundreds of them. Yes. Because lots of tourists eating things that they throw right. to the seagulls that then right. fight over the little scraps. And then they poop on Tesla's head. Did we ever go to the Burger King in Stirling? No. It's like every seagull in the world. Hangs out at the Burger King at Springkirk's industrial estate and they just wait for people to throw a chip out of their car and you get hundreds of them. It's it's at the point where you're scared to get out of your car to go to the to go to the garbage can to get rid of your trash. Because there's just so many seagulls right. that know that you've got food. Right. I'm trying to imagine how I would feel if I came to Scotland and you took me to a Burger King. I took you to a kebab shop. That's because we have no kebab shops here. Oh, true. You did take me to that awful Mexican restaurant, though. It was good. It was not. It was under new management. It was still good, though. <clears throat> it was good if you've never had actual Mexican food before. Oh, come away with you. <laughs> so... So Stephen kind of gets what he wants here. Owen isn't going to buy the factory anymore, right. but this means that Carla still wants to sell. Right. She just can't sell to Owen. And and now and now Carla is very, very suspicious. Yeah, we've kind of forgotten, or we've been allowed to forget, that Carla doesn't trust Stephen one inch. No, and nor she should she. She didn't trust him beforehand, and she certainly doesn't trust him now. So he's kind of gone out of the frying pan in one way and then a different kind of fire another way in another way yeah. with Carla because she's right yeah. and Owen was right yeah Seagull isn't a thing right a cursory Google search would have right. surely confirmed that yes he is embezzling money to pay for what a stupid name to give your 
fake company. I wonder what if is that it was even on, supposed to mean? I wonder if it was an anagram or something, but it's not. Or if it's, or if it is an actual consulting firm, you know, if he Googled actual consulting firms and found one named Seagull. Hmm. And is it Seagull like a Seagull or is yeah. it like Steven Seagull? No, it's not it Seagull. Seagull? No, it's a Seagull. Or like, or like Jason Seagull. No, which is also not spelled Seagull. No, it's still Seagull. It's S E A G U L L. Have we ever I, seen it spelled I, out? I don't know any other way I can tell you this. It's we've seen it spelled out. Have we? Yeah. Where? When uh, Stephen was checking his online banking to make sure that the payment had gone through for Tim's mum's life oh, insurance. Oh, that's right. See if he had made it something like Jason Seagull. If it was S E A G E L. Wait a minute. That that would be more Why believable. Is Hollywood superstar Jason Siegel paying for Tim's mom's life insurance. <laughs> and also that would be more believable. With, and also, it's dancing with Muppets. It would be a more believable name for the company than Siegel. It would be less suspicious in my mind than something that's obviously made up. It could have easily been Steven Seagal though, because he's teaming up with Putin, isn't he? Yeah, supposedly Putin is going to make him his new general because the other guy quit in disgrace over the coup thing that the, didn't happen. And wasn't a thing. Probably not. So <clears> many, <throat> so many, so many things in this world. No wonder we were all obsessed with that whole submarine thing. Right. Oh, well. Much lower stakes than, you know, World War Three, mm. Or not being able to pay your student loans. Oh yeah, that's back. Yeah, or abol- wah, wah. or abolishing gay marriage, or not letting black people go to college anymore. <sighs> Land of the free, home of the brave. Happy Fourth, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering, he's he's got 24 hours to come up with something. He, he normally right. <laughs> thinks pretty fast on his feet, so I'm sure he'll come up with, with some way. I, Whether that's him have- just putting on a voice or puppets. Maybe. He said like a Zoom well I have like a Zoom call with puppets. I just wish he would hurry up and kill again. Or not, leave. <laughs> he just has uh, insistence on killing incidental characters rather than somebody who's been on the show <coughs> for any length of time. Sinko <coughs> Leo had been there for a while. A year. Yeah. He'd been in it for a year. But he hadn't, he been, gonna... hadn't been in it for a year, he'd been in it for a couple of weeks and, he and was then gonna, had been off for a while. And he's gonna marry Jenny. Mm-hmm. He was he was an important character. Yeah. He was gonna kill Owen though. It really kind of felt like the whole let's meet in my apartment alone with no one else around. Yeah. Can I get you a coffee? Or let's talk about Huey Lewis in the news somewhere. Ah <laughs> <clears throat> <sighs> Yeah, I think the worst thing that can happen for Stephen, though, is for Carla to get her teeth into this because she is just not going to let it go. And he's already tried to kill her and couldn't. Right. So to keep the Stephen Seagal thing going, Carla's a little bit hard to kill. Yes. That's true. She's got him by the ball bags. (laughs) For a second there, I was trying to think of, did Stephen Seagal star in a movie called Ball Bags? (laughs) And if not, why not? (laughs) I I think I saw a documentary about him where he said that he washed his hands before he he urinates and after. 
because he doesn't want any germs on the weed general. Well, that's that's understandable. That's an interesting time. I wish more men were careful about their penises. In I, more I, ways I, than one. I wish all men were more careful with their penises. You can always be more <laughs> careful. Where did I put? Okay. It's right there. Our final storyline tonight is how are we going to retcon this? On Monday... Roy goes round to see Evelyn with some template documentation for custody of a dog and a suggestion of having a joint bank account for expenses. Evelyn thinks it's too much, but on having a look at the proposed schedule, it looks like Roy has organised Freddy's care around his hobbies, which includes going to historical societies with Yasmin. Evelyn is not amused, but is forced into agreeing by Tyrone, who just wants them to stop talking about this, I think. Right, and also loves Freddy more than either one of them do. (laughs) Seriously. Later, Roy and Yasmin are chatting about boring stuff in Nina Rolls while a storm rages outside and Evelyn comes in with Freddy, both of them looking like drowned rats. Yasmin goes over to coo over Freddy until Yasmin insists that he bites. Roy takes the dog and offers to make Evelyn a cuppa. Evelyn insists that he bites. This leaves Yasmin and Evelyn chatting. Awkwardly. hates every minute. Yasmin doesn't seem to notice, but when Roy comes back with a towel for her, he does seem to notice that Evelyn isn't okay. Yasmin heads off and Evelyn imagines Stu will be missing her, but Yasmin says Stu is too busy for that these days. Oh, trouble in paradise. Well, no, he went off to like some guitar festival or something or to show his bob bags on Ted Lasso. Back home, Hope is helping with the dishes and has noticed that Evelyn has been quiet all through dinner. Privately, Tyrone sidles up and knows exactly why she's in the mood. She's jealous of Yasmin getting some quality Roy time. Evelyn insists that her only concern is the dog. Sure, says Tyrone as he scratches his chin. And Roy comes over later with a revised schedule that still favours his nights with Yasmin at the Historical Society. Evelyn warns him of taking up too much time with new friends like Yasmin. And he asks if there's a problem. Again, Evelyn says her priority is Freddy, who doesn't seem to like Yasmin. And Roy's left super confused. Right, and also... Roy put Evelyn down on a night when she has her bridge club, and he knows that. <laughs> Shame on him. God damn it, Roy. On Wednesday, Roy and Freddy walk by a mysterious stranger as Roy heads to Evelyn to drop the dog off. She's still pissed off about Roy's friendship with Yasmin, which causes further irritation when he asks for Freddy to be returned by 4pm when he intends to go on a historical walk around the area with Yasmin. This reaction does not go unnoticed by Tyrone. Then later, Kev is back. With a new jacket! A lovely new leather jacket. Evelyn tells him that she was sorry to hear about his dad dying five years ago. He and Tyrone (laughs) arrange to meet for beers later while a mysterious figure watches Evelyn from further down the street. At 4pm, Yasmin and Roy are ready to head out when Evelyn turns up to hand over Freddy. She takes an eternity to splutter through a seemingly prepared pretend-off-the-cuff speech where she asks Yasmin and Roy to join her for an early birds dinner at the bistro later. Yasmin is happy to agree, and Roy is too busy looking at a map so doesn't even know what he's been signed up for, but says yes anyway. Evelyn leaves Nina's Rolls where she's seen by the mysterious figure as she walks away, and it looks all the world like Evelyn doesn't see the figure, or deliberately doesn't see the figure. So when the figure turns and walks away themselves, and Evelyn doubles back for a better look, we know which of those is correct. At home, Tyrone finds Evelyn in a reflective mood as she peels some spuds, but not like that, for the girls' dinner. Tyrone isn't interested in dinner because Kev has also turned up with beers, 
And they all chat about Evelyn third wheeling at the bistro, but she's in no mood for this and leaves. And no sooner has she stepped out when she gets a call from the hospital. Meanwhile, Roy and Yasmin are at the bistro and there's no sign of their third wheel, which doesn't seem to stop Yasmin and Roy cracking on with the vino. And then Roy gives Evelyn a call to see where she's at. Roy is drinking orange juice, not vino. Yes. And Yasmin knows more about wine than she's letting on. She knows everything about wine. I know, it was weird. After cracking Tim's dad over the head with a bottle, she seems to be quite the connoisseur. Mm-hmm. But Evelyn has to dingy Roy's call because she's at the hospital where she asks to see Cassandra Plummer, who was the mysterious figure. Mm. Evelyn waits in the waiting room filled with mothers and daughters just for plot purposes. Cassandra has been found unresponsive on the street. The doc says she was out of her tits on some heroin substitute, pregabalin, which Evelyn says was what she was trying to get her off last Christmas. Last Christmas, mm-hmm. she disappeared to see a friend right. and only turned up on the street for Tyrone's wedding. Yes. And I was like, I can't believe we're finally closing off that bit of a mystery because yes. it didn't really draw all that much attention to mm-hmm. itself. Even said that she was off seeing a friend and we thought, well, this is just an excuse because mm-hmm. she was doing her one woman thing. Right. So that was just the, the cover for that but mm-hmm. they've cleverly brought that back Yay. and paid that off bravo show and i'm really really pleased that they did that. yes because there's lots of people are like, well what happened last christmas well exactly she wasn't right. there last christmas she just right. turned up for the wedding right the doc tells even where she can find cassandra even looks like she's about to leave though until she sees her own face in the mirror at the back of an elevator and Obviously, that's enough to prick at her conscience. Meanwhile, at home, Roy and Yasmin turn up at Tyrone's worried about Evelyn. If she's not here, though, then where is she? And then dum, dum, dum. Evelyn goes to see her daughter in what was an eight and a half minute scene that took up uh, more than two thirds, four fifths of the final part of the show, just as one scene. And it was so brilliant. I'm not suggesting for a moment that it was done in one take, but it was one scene of just Evelyn and Cassandra together, and she's in the bed, and Evelyn sitting waiting for her to wake up. It was brilliant. It was unbelievably good. Let's deal with the elephants in the room, though, before we start talking about it. Yes. Cassie is Tyrone's age. Or thereabouts. There are, there is 12 years difference. In real life. In real life, there's 12 years difference. Cassie had him at 16. Mm-hmm. So that's only a four year difference from what she was supposed to be at the time. Yes. So it's not that unbelievable. Well, and it, also well, Sarah well, had a baby at 12. Well, it is that unbelievable because Claire Sweeney does not look like she's 12 years older than Tyrone. They, they look... They look all the world like this, like they're the same age. Right. Because there was only 16 years between them. I don't know if you're so deliberately missing my point. Well, no. I, I I get your point. But for me, it's believable because she was basically a kid herself when she had him. So I have no problem with it. Elephant number one. Elephant number two. Cassie's teeth are far too good for a junkie. I mean, she's not on meth. Heroin doesn't really mess up your teeth. It doesn't make them great. Yeah, I mean, it's like living like off the street. super white. 
Yeah. But, I mean, this is a television show. Well, you can... Homeless Stu had perfect, beautiful white teeth, and he had been homeless for a long time. Well, and so did Abby. Yeah. It's a show. <laughs> it's like we don't care. Homeless people and, and junkies all... Perfect perf- teeth. Perfect dentistry. Right. Anyway, there's clearly... They're British and they have perfect teeth. <laughs> there you go. There's clearly no love loss between mother and daughter. Evelyn claims that she is only here to find out how she knew where Evelyn lives. Or maybe she just found the address in her bag when she was stealing money. Evelyn knows not to keep cash on her when Cassie is around. Cassie says that she was looking for money from her today, but not for drugs. And she only scored when Evelyn ignored her. Evelyn is not about to accept blame for this. Yeah, walk away like you always do, said Cassie. And that just pushes Evelyn's buttons because walking away is the last thing that she does. And as they pick at old scabs, it seems that Evelyn got Cassie clean at Christmas, but ran off to be at Tyrone's wedding. And Tyrone is a name that she's very careful to avoid saying here. Right. But Cassie has already seen one Tyrone Dobbs, who helped her out with a couple of quid. And they had a chat about how long he'd lived there and how Evelyn was his gran. And if Evelyn is his gran, well, I guess that makes Cassie his mother. Tum, tum, tum. As far as Cassie was concerned, her baby was snatched from her and left on the doorstep of a police station. But as it turns out, her long-lost son was the person who gave her the cash to overdose on, just like a Greek tragedy. But then she admits that the Tyrone story never happened. He never gave her money, and it seems to have been Kev who spilled the beans instead. Evelyn says that she knows she would have destroyed Tyrone, and she's making up for it now. Cassie wants to get to know Tyrone, but Evelyn tells her he thinks that she's dead which was probably true at the time as far as Evelyn was concerned. Evelyn goes to leave, but Cassie says she wants to get better and needs her mum's help, but Evelyn doesn't have the energy to be let down again. Her heart won't take it, she says. And she says, I'm 70, I'm 74 or I'm 77. 77. Her heart won't take it, and she goes to leave again. Cassie tells her that she loves her. Then stay away, says Evelyn. Stay away from Tyrone. And then she finally does leave. And, oh... There's no real Such way of conveying scene. how good that scene was without seeing how was good that so scene good. was. So good. It just, Maureen Lipman can do everything. She really can. And it's the complexity of her character. Yeah. Where there are so many levels to her, because there's a level to her anger, because she's very angry. Right. But she's also got the part of her where she's a mother to this girl. Yes. And she has still a kind of instinct there to be, to still care so much to be disappointed. Right. And and you pick up on that. Yes. Without, without her having to say it explicitly, you, you get the depth of emotion that has been played with here. Mm-hmm. It's just fantastically done. And I want to give some props as well to Claire Sweeney who was great but Claire Sweeney was in a bed right and in the show for one day right what we're seeing from Maureen Littman here is is every moment of that character yes. that we've seen over the past few years yes build up to this this is this yes. is where that storyline has been going this whole time all this time right and to deliver as well as it did oh my god I thought they were going to have the whole of that last part and it kind of deserved it. But what we got from that was just amazing. so many years worth of of 
miscommunication and disappointments anger and, and anger resentment and, and, oh. and exhaustion. <sighs> I want to get to know him. I want to meet him. He thinks you're dead. Oh, from Cassandra's point of view, who I guess has just found out today that. Tyrone is there and right. has been living with her mum. And his all name's this Tyrone. Time. <laughs> right, and what he's, right, all of that. Right. To find that out and also to find out that he thinks that you're dead. Right. And also, you know, just the emotion of Evelyn saying, in fairness, I thought you were dead. Mm-hmm. She went off to South Africa with right. her junkie mates. Right. Your junkie boyfriend and. Never heard from you and never saw you again. So as far as I knew, you really were dead. Mm -hmm. You know? And I mean, everybody who has ever loved an addict can put themselves in that room. Right. I I feel like they, they so very clearly understand and accurately portray what a mother of an addict would say and feel and experience and express at that time. I thought they picked up on that brilliantly because every time Evelyn goes to leave, mm-hmm. Cassie's able to say one thing that right. makes her turn around. Yeah. And whether that's accusing her of being, this is all your fault, or right. you always walk away, right. or saying that I love you. Right. She knows how to press her mother's right. buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Just like any addict. You know yes. how you, you know how you get what you want from people. Right. Because it's all about you, right? Right. Oh, it's just just such an amazing scene. And and can we talk about the makeup here? Because they have mm-hmm. made Claire Sweeney a gorgeous woman. Mm-hmm. You know, minus the whole teeth thing. <laughs> right. They make her look like she's been living rough. Yeah, they've done a really good job they've on that. They've done a great job on that. And I think they've done it because kind of less is more. They've, right. They've not made her filthy. They've made her a, a bit grubby. And haggard. Right. And, and saggy. And I think by not over-egging it, it, it makes it work so much better. Yes. Yeah, just Ugh. just incredible stuff. Two thumbs up. Oh. So Evelyn gets home and Tyrone has been out of his mind with worry. Evelyn claims that she's been at bingo with a friend, but Tyrone's not buying it. He thinks that she's jealous about Roy and Yasmin, and Evelyn deflects to the state of the room with Kev's beers lying around, which sets Tyrone off cleaning and allows Evelyn to look pensive. On Friday, Ruby has suddenly become a giant. Not she's, really. She's sprouted yes. so much since she was last on the screen. Yes, but she's still our Ruby. And and absolutely adorable. Absolutely. And, and, um... Hope and and Stu's granddaughter, who's Eliza. Been, yeah, Hope and Eliza seem to have made up, and Eliza has forgiven her for the whole volcano thing. Apparently, yeah, and Eliza was staying over that night. Right, she stayed over, and they seem to be friends now. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Helen? It is. It is nice. So Hope it is Al- nice. So nobody speaks to Sam anymore. <laughs> Hope and Eliza have breakfast and chat about which musical character they would be. Even meanwhile, Dingy's a call from an unknown number. Tyrone has run ragged with getting kids ready for school, housework and the girls' homework. So Evelyn offers to help out with the homework stuff and she says that she'll take the kids to school. What a lifesaver. Tyrone Tyrone says, your favourite musical. And then the kids say he's too old for it. <laughs> Which is what? 
the the one with the kids who are gangsters. Oh, Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. So then he has to say Greatest Showman. Abby, Kev, and a rosy-cheeked Alfie are in devs. Abby is complaining about a headache, so Evelyn offers to get her some paracetamol, but Abby declines, saying she doesn't want to risk falling off the wagon. That's right, Evelyn. Abby was a hopeless junkie, just like your daughter. So later, when Abby and Evelyn bump into each other, Evelyn asks how long Abby has been clean, which Abby can recite to the day. 1,002 days sober for me, thank you very much. And then starts asking reasonable questions in an inappropriate manner, asking why this time will work when the others didn't. Abby gracefully and patiently explains that the people around her giving her a chance and people loving her despite her disease and having Alfie and having Kev all gives her something to be sober for. And this gives Evelyn food for thought. But the way that she asked right. kind of rubs Abby up the wrong way of all. And it is very reasonable because she's like, why is this child different from your other children? Are yeah. you saying that your other children weren't worth it? Right. You know, she makes good points. But you're right. Her tone is very Evelyn. Mm-hmm. So... So Evelyn goes to the hospital after this to see Cassie, but is shocked to find that Cassie has already signed herself out. So Evelyn goes into Nina's roles and receives some gentle quizzing from Yasmin and Roy about her whereabouts yesterday when she dingied the mail. Evelyn tells Yasmin to keep her beak out of her business and leaves. And Yasmin is actually a bit hurt by this, and Roy calls Evelyn's display spiky, even by Evelyn's standards. So Evelyn gets home and is surprised to see Tyrone there and then is further surprised to see Cassie sitting in the living room, bald as brass and likely high as fuck. She's pretending to be Kath, an old friend of Evelyn's here to see her. Evelyn covers by saying that Kath is a friend of James, her old neighbour. She sends Tyrone back to the garage and then gets stuck into Cassie, looking for a big reunion while looking like shite, she says. Evelyn says that she was going to tell Tyrone about Cassie after Christmas, Cassie says that she was going to come clean but lost her nerve and thinks Tyrone is better not knowing who she is. And strangely, Evelyn thinks that she needs to get clean first and is willing to help but says that she does need to know who Tyrone is. So Evelyn bursts into Dev's and asks for a loan for five grand. Roy has followed her in, concerned about her. Dev can loan her 50 quid and isn't too happy with her anyway for disappearing during her shift. Evelyn tells him to shove his shift up his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. And then storms out. Evelyn goes to see Roy at Nina's roles. He apologises for intruding on her private conversation with Dave, but offers her the money if she wants it. Evelyn is close to being overcome with emotion, but tells him that She's she can't do that. Tears. Yeah, oof. And tells him that his company means a lot to her too, but the way she words it, though, makes him realise that she's read his letter. Dum-dum-dum. <gasps> <laughs> Evelyn thinks that she did him a favour, as expressing his feelings is impossible for him, but she apologises anyway. It doesn't matter, though, because she's going away for a while, so he doesn't need to worry about being disappointed in her. And she just storms out, and Roy's left, and he says goodbye to an empty room. That scene as well, you know, it wasn't eight and a half minutes long, and it wasn't quite... But it was so close. Right. Because, you know, we see Evelyn close to tears, Mm -hmm. and... Coming as close as she possibly could to admitting how important Roy is to her. Yeah, she effectively does say it. Right. And in a, a little bit of a roundabout way. but Right. But unfortunately in a way that makes Roy upset at her for reading the letter. Right. Evelyn goes back to Tyrone's to announce that she's leaving for a bit because Kath says James needs help. Tyrone is furious. Yes, he is. Saying that Evelyn is... 
taking the word of a smackhead and putting her friends ahead of her family and reminding her that she said that she'd help out when Fizz was away and right. who's going to pick up the kids tomorrow? Oh, you'll right. manage, says Evelyn. Then Evelyn gives Tyrone a hug and then just leaves without a word. Right. <laughs> Oft. <laughs> and again. Bloody Oft. <laughs> And when she's hugging Tyrone and She's so long, near tears there too So long as Tyrone can't see her She lets her guard down just a little bit And as you said Just about in tears So Evelyn's got a taxi and she meets Cassie At the precinct Evelyn lied to her by telling her that Tyrone was going to be there She did that to make sure Cassie showed up Evelyn couldn't afford to get her into rehab Actually five grand It was ten grand when it was Eric Remember Maybe it's cheaper when it's drugs. So she's got use of James's flat for the summer and is going to help her go cold turkey once she's clean and only then will she be able to meet Tyrone. Evelyn promises to help her every step of the way and Cassie agrees, says that she's ready. They get in the taxi and they drive off. And that's how we end this week's episodes. A masterclass this week. Just... How how do you top that? You can't. You can't. Just give Maureen Lippman all of the awards. I know Coronation Street doesn't qualify for the Emmys, but give her one anyway. That was the Emmy reel that you send in, isn't it? Right, yeah. Oft, 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 oft. I, if I have one complaint, it's that if you've ever been to an Al-Anon meeting, you know that you cannot control someone else's addiction. And we, we had this conversation during the Eric thing as, as well. So it feels kind of irresponsible, the bit that Abby said of, well, I can only get through this because I have the, I have the help of these other people, mm. you know, and which un, unwittingly guilt. Evelyn into helping Cassie right. yet again when it's Cassie who has to want to get clean and I'm not 100% sure she does and you know and Evelyn was not lying when she was in that hospital and saying I'm tired I'm old I can't help you she can't help her no you know it's, it's just it's like saying well my cancer's going to go away because my family loves me. Yeah, the I think I think I had some reservations about it as well and they're kind of similar but my reservation was it was never Cassie saying I want to get better now. Right. It was Evelyn saying you're going to get better now. Right. And Cassie really needs to be in charge of that. Right. Yeah. And she does and, get and, in the car. And I, right. And I, and I don't think it's it's that much of a, a big deal, but, uh, you know, it's it's up to the person who's who needs to accept that they need help and, right. and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and as for it to need to stick, that is kind of important. Right. But uh, I'm, I'm, whatever size of nitpick that was, and it was pretty small, it kind of pales into... Feels an insignificance really when you look at at what what was put on on show this week in this storyline and you know in, in other storylines I thought it was a really strong week but this really made it this yes. this is what 
made it an exceptional week was was this storyline. This I guess this isn't a a nitpick, but the main complaint is they've shown us how good this can be and how incredible this relationship can be for two days and then it's gone for months. Because <laughs> this is going to be right. why Maureen Lippman's gone out of it. Because this, right. this is the yeah. the one woman Remember last thing. week when we were like, like, how on earth are they going to get her out of this? Maybe maybe it's already happened and we just didn't know. It's, no, that, no, here we are. Here we are. We, we, we finally got there. We got there. So they've shown us this this uh, amazing uh, standard that they've set. Right. And then we're not going to get that again. No. Because <laughs> it's going to... Not for a couple of months. Right. And that's like... That it will show up eventually. It feels kind of... It feels kind of cruel. Yeah. But... Oh. Ah, oh, And you've got to wonder what Tyrone's going to think when when all this comes out. And I think the the, the most incredible part of it is that they've made this retcon believable. Yeah. And they've made... They've made me kind of forget that it's a retcon. But is it a retcon? Yes. Or were they establishing this from the very beginning? No, because Tyrone's mum was Jackie Dobbs. And now we've decided that we don't want that to be the truth. We want this to be the truth. So it's kind of... Yeah, but wasn't it Jackie Dobbs because she found him on the steps of the police station? But that was never... That was never established in the late 90s and the early 2000s it was Tyrone was Jackie Dobbs son and that was all there was to it Tyrone had no question marks over his his parentage he was sure that Jackie was his mum so this only became a thing in the last five years huh. where we decided no we don't want that to be the truth because there's no drama there anymore and we don't want to get Margie Clark back into it we want to do something different, so let's make up this story. And at the time, it felt really a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But we kind of forgave it because it gave us more Maureen Lippmann. Lippmann. yeah. And we were right to forgive it because yes. this is better. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, th- they've made all that inconsequential now because the important thing is that Cassie, I, I absolutely believe, is now Tyrone's mother. And I was going through some uh, moments over the past few years, where I actually thought that Evelyn was maybe Tyrone's mother and the whole Cassie thing was just made up to to deflect from that, which would have been believable as well. But, Mm -hmm. oh, remarkably good stuff. Yes. I'm kind of torn about how this leaves the Roy and Yasmin and Evelyn little triangle that was getting built up. Because again, this is feel like feels like it's been left really at the cusp of something better, where Roy and Evelyn are kind of admitting through not the best the best method how they feel, feel about, about each another. other, and yeah. then it's going to again, it's it's not going to go anywhere for the next couple of months. Right, that's fine. I like a slow burn. <laughs> yeah, but in the meantime, I think the the maybe the fire between Stu and Yasmin is. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I hope not. Because where else would Stu live? <laughs> right. And we've brought Eliza in. Right, yes. We can't be getting rid of her just for no reason. Right, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. And Stu is calling her pet now, so. <laughs> I don't know if that's a great thing. Oh, well. That was the week that was Coronation Street. 
Tell me, Helen, as if I need to ask, what was your moment of the week? It was... Was it Daniel? It was, <laughs> it was Stephen showing Tim's mum videos of Canada. No! Is our <laughs> stop! Stop! The week. <laughs> it was Evelyn and Cassie the in hosp- the hospital scene. I mean, I would it's agree the hospital be. scene, but there were just so many great moments. Yeah. Even on Friday... In fact, particularly on Friday, you could argue, but yeah, that eight and a half minute scene was yeah. just a bit of a masterclass. That is our moment of the week. A moment of the year, moment mm. of the last couple of years. Moment of a lifetime. Maybe the moment of as long as we've been doing this podcast, yeah. maybe. Yeah. It's hard to think of something that was better than that. Right. Certainly not Gail's monologue. <gasps> what about your boring moment of the week, though? That would be Stephen showing Tim's mum. Really? Videos of Canada. I thought all oh, that was hilarious when they came in with the antlers cap. And no, all that not stuff. that. Oh, in Nina's roles when he was showing her the video of his friends in Canada on oh. Canada Day. Oh yeah, that sucked. That's a <laughs> boring moment of the week. Yeah, that's a boring moment of the week. Right, you know, Michael wearing antlers. I will watch all the time. Just give him an antler hat and never take it off of him. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy and French Helen. Thanks, guys. Ooh la la. Hey, Canadian people, when was the last time you wore an antler hat? Write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.